and her family for having coached that kind of godliness into a little one. Those words that they memorize become a part of their character. And um, so it's more than just uh, an exercise that someone's worked through with a child. It's, it changes their life, so I commend you on that. And before I, um, was I, since I'm in a commending mood, um, I just want to say uh, thank you for leading the way you did, Pastor Eric. I, um, I don't know what you expect when you come in for worship, but um, if you can get past all of the humanistic things like, gee, um, do I like the song? Would I rather it was the Doobie Brothers up front? Um, and um, the, the, the style and style issues, you need to understand that you were led very, very well this morning. I, I, I was busy for other reasons, and I came in a couple minutes late, and so I was in here for a song and a half, and I was absolutely led into the, the throne room. And, um, you know, having a leader say to me, that Jesus is constantly interceding for me, touched me this morning. And um, it should have touched you too, to know that you were being ushered into the place where the miracles happen, where, where lives are changed, where provision happens, where miracles. So um, thank you for leading. And I encourage you when you come to church, don't come in thinking, okay, I hope I like the songs today, but instead say, okay, I trust this leader I did like the songs, by the way. <laughs> Even though it wasn't the Doobie Brothers. But I come to church knowing that the leader is going to absolutely... His, his purpose isn't to entertain or to make us like the song. His purpose is to get us into the presence of the king. And he can only, only kind of go up the trail ahead of us. We have to walk that trail and go. And so thank you for blazing a trail for me. Um, anyway, so today, the 13th... Um, I'm going to, I, Proverbs 13, I chose verse 20, which is going to get worked into the message too. It's a perfect, it's a double whammy for me. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So today I'm wrapping up this series that I've been kind of chipping away at for a couple of months um, about, Lord, change me, change me, Lord. You want to, there's some things in here you want to change. And so go ahead and have at it. And we started this a long time ago talking about some concepts that we were going to kick to the curb. Remember, is the faulty human forms and methods for change we've talked about, and I went into some psychology issues over the last decade, and we talked about famous names, and, and some, we just got to kick some of that stuff to the curb. And, and the second thing is we had to set a foundation to get on board with the Lord's plan, and we always, that always starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where that starts. And then listening to the Lord about the specifics, because the Lord would be talking to us in a very specific way, what it is that he wants to change. We talked about the first step is always repentance, and that's a hard one. Repentance can be really hard, and in fact, we studied through in Scripture and found out that sometimes repentance can get to the place where it's impossible, which is a scary thing. And then I spent four weeks just kind of uh, plowing through four very common um, times, types of change. We talked about choosing purpose, over popularity, and we talked about surrender versus con- trying to control everything all the time. We talked about choosing discipline, the pain of discipline over the pain of regret, and uh, then we talked last time about choosing the important over the urgent, because the urgent things will chase out every important thing if we allow them to. And so today I'm going to wrap this up and, and, and say to you, I really believe that lasting change requires biblical friendship. If you're going to change, it requires biblical friendship. People who change are surrounded by, by caring and supportive friends. You, know, you can do a little bit of a heart check on that one if you want to. Um, 
you know, people who change are surrounded by caring, supportive friends. Think about yourself. People who change, people who last in that change, people who grow, they're surrounded by biblical friendship. And I use the word biblical there because not all friendship is biblical, right? I mean, um, the book of Proverbs tells us that. So today's proverb, um, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. But there's an even better one to, help, to illustrate that point. Proverbs 12:26 says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you're righteous through faith in Christ, you really should choose your friends carefully because the way of the wicked will lead you astray. And, you know, when, when God began to get a hold of my life, you know, in my late teens, you know, one of the things that needed to change immediately for me was my friends. Um, I mean, a, a time of separation. I didn't cut off old friends, but there was a time of separation that was really important for me um, to establish myself with some biblical friendships, some life-giving fr- friendships, some, some faith-building friendships, I'd have that. And, you know, maybe that's one of the things, or maybe that's an area in your life that's maybe holding you back. You come to church, and um, you see where you want to go, and you are around people who are headed towards righteousness, and they're going in a direction. But then the phone rings, and somebody calls you up, and asks you to come over, and you end up in a place that you never wanted to go, and um, going a direction, a place you never wanted to go. And so there are lots of examples about how friendships um, worked, both positively and negatively in Scripture. Lots of them. Abraham had Sarah, and even though they weren't perfectly people, um, they were both very supportive. They were both believers, and you know they were both faithful people. Moses had Jethro. You know, Jethro... He said, hey, hey, Moses, you cannot do everything all the time for everybody or you are, will drive yourself crazy. That's paraphrased, but that's basically what Jethro was a great friend. Moses had Aaron, and, and um, they were kind of like a teaching team, and Moses didn't bear all of the weight communicating, and so he had that friend, and Joshua had a guy named Caleb. You know, everybody else around them was doubting, and um, Joshua was strengthened by a, another friend who was able to lean into the faith and trust God. Um, so Josh had Caleb and Ruth had Boaz. You know, Boaz picked, picked up, he could see the purposes God had for her in her life. And, and, um, um, and, 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 and he married. And, and that, that, that is a picture of the New Testament, the, the gospel there. I won't go off on down that rabbit trail. But I mean, Esther, there was a guy named Mordecai in her life when people all around her were doing and saying the wrong thing. You know, he's, he's just outside, you know, holding out for God's highest and best for her. And, and even, even, when, even when things were going on were producing fear and, and um, anxiety and causing her to doubt. Even in the New Testament, you see Paul. He had several close friends, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, people who are friends of faith. You just can't do it yourself. Even Jesus Christ. You know, if you read through scripture, it says, you know, he had crowds, and he had the 70, and he had the 12. He even had the three, and um, you can study that through. Mark 6 says, you know, there's a scripture there that says that they were sent out two by two. Nobody goes it alone. Nobody goes it alone. And that's why today we're going to talk about the power of biblical friendship. In the past, you know, we've talked in different messages about the power of the Holy Spirit and and we've talked about faith. Faith is what flips that switch on many times. And now I want to talk to you about the power that's found in, uh, in a Christian life when it comes through the people who are sitting around you right now. The people who you worship with, 
the people in your family, the people in your small group. You know, you're not supposed to be doing this alone. We, we need each other. Because lasting change requires biblical friendship. Now, if you've been trying to live, walk the Christian walk like it's a solo sport, you know, trying to do it on your own, and uh, if you've been trying to live the Christian faith with friends who maybe actually lead you further from the Lord rather than towards him, but, you know, the Bible, the Bible actually starts off with a relationship where they didn't do so well leading each other. Adam and Eve... The first couple, I mean, right there at the very beginning in the Word of God, they start out with a failed friendship. Neither one of them rose to the place of helping the other person do what was right. They both had great opportunities. I mean, right at the very beginning of the Word of God, a friendship that didn't live up to what it was supposed to do. Samson, here's another guy. You know, Samson, he always had problems. He was a womanizer. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. He, he would have been the guy in the, in the news today because he would have been, he was always in trouble. And and my question is, where were your friends? Where were your brothers? Where, you know, the the people who could speak into your life, Samson, where were they? You know, and um, he was alone. And here's another one, Saul, King Saul. He had a guy named uh, um, um, Samuel and and, and Samuel tried to be a friend to him, but Saul would not listen. He just wouldn't listen. 1 Samuel 23, and that's where we're headed in our context today. Um, here's the, a little bit of context about where we're going to go before we get the scripture up there. Um, the nation of Israel had basically said to God, hey, we want to have a king just like all the nations around us. And they, you know, I don't know how you do that with God, but they whimpered and they whined and they demanded that God would give them a king. So God says, okay, so he, he gives them Saul. And um, Saul literally torpedoed his own life through um, fleshy kind of disobedience and insecurity. And, and uh, then eventually David, David becomes anointed as king. He was known as a man after God's own heart. But before he could take the throne, King Saul had this, he had murderous plans in his heart about David. And he did everything he could to kill David. And, and David's running around the Judean countryside and he's you know fleeing for his life. He's hiding in caves and... And um, in all that's going on, Saul's son, Jonathan, who was a biblical friend, he was a true friend. He was a faithful friend. He shows up and we can see, um, you know, from that life, we can see a pattern here. We'll pick up in 1 Samuel 23, starting in verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. Wow. Okay. Okay, here's my first point. A biblical friend holds you up when you struggle. I mean, today, I'm going to boil down biblical friendship to two points, and this is the first one. A biblical friend holds you up when you struggle. If there was ever a friendship that had the potential to fail. It's this one, David and, um, and Jonathan. I mean, I mean, David was lonely. He's being persecuted. He's, he's a long ways from home. He's needy. You know, if I came to you and I said, hey, I've got a, I've got a guy I want you to meet. He's going to be a great friend to you. He's lonely. He's persecuted. He's a long ways from home and he's really needy. 
Wouldn't you be going, oh, let me sign up for that friendship, right? All right. I mean, that's who this is. And if that's not bad enough, Jonathan himself, he comes from kind of a messed up home a little bit. You know, his, he had a very, very passive mother, and his father is an absolute tyrant. Not a very happy home. His, his father, you know, insane would even be a, a reasonable one. And, and then add to that, both Jonathan and David wanted to be king. They both wanted the same throne. This is not a recipe for a great friendship. And Jonathan, um, Jonathan's father, had, Saul, had actually invited David into the home and in kind of a way had actually kind of made him like his own son. Okay, so this, this is, uh, all this adver- adversity is going on here and out of all of this adversity is this powerful picture of what friendship really, and I, wanna, I want you to notice um, four things from this passage, from this little passage. First one I want to notice is presence. First thing we'll notice is presence. At the very worst of times, presence. Verse 16, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David. You can underline that in your Bible. That's a really good one, that he rose and went. He went to him. He went to him. It's a powerful picture of biblical friendship. The key here is presence. He's there. And Jonathan had lots of reasons for staying away. He had everything to lose and nothing to gain. I mean... He's risking his father's wrath because at one point, his father actually picked up and threw a sword at him trying to kill his own son, okay? So he's, he's kind of, you know, he, he knew that by going to hang out with David, he, Jonathan was, he was putting his own life at risk. He was risking his own position because if Saul actually succeeded in killing David, eventually Jonathan would become king. So he's risking his own life and he's risking his future as king, but he chooses to go. David is alone, and he's afraid, and he's feeling, he's feeling the pain that comes from false accusation. He's being accused of all kinds of things by Saul. He didn't do, he didn't do any of them. And um, here comes Jonathan, and there's no way Jonathan is going to let his friend down. Presence. He's there. It's an awesome thing to know that when the time here was the toughest for David. When, when, when the night for David was the darkest, the absolute darkest, to know that there's this forged friendship and that no matter what happens, he will be there. And he's there for them. And Jonathan rose and went to him, the power of presence. And the second thing I want you to notice is prayer. Not just presence, but prayer. And you've got to look into the scriptures here to see this. Verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Now, this is, this is not kind of like some mutual admiration society by these guys. Um, presence has to be more than just physical. Um, physically being there with some sort of light, you know, conversation. You know. This is not, hey, what about them mariners? This is not, that's not what this is. And the word strengthen here is literally fastened upon. It, it's, it comes from a, w- a word that means to bond. The picture here is, you ever done any woodwork where you had to glue two pieces of wood together and your, shop, your wood shop teacher says, I said, you know, was it gonna, is it going to hold? And the shop teacher says, actually, where the glue is, that will be stronger than the rest of the wood. That's the bond. That is the description. That is the word here, strengthened that's being used in this passage. And um, strengthened, he bonded his hand in God. It's a powerful picture. David's already, he's already a, g- a great man of God. 
He's already a slayer of giants. He's already a man after God's own heart. But he's hurting and he's discouraged and he's disillusioned. He's living in a cave and he's, he's in his own darkest night of the soul. This is terrible time for David. And it's awesome that Jonathan, of all people, was the one to be with him, that went to him. And notice, kind of notice here some other things that aren't in this text. Some, that notice that, that, that Jonathan didn't make some dumb comment Okay, I mean, <laughs> he didn't say, oh, my dad will eventually come around, or it's not as bad as it seems, and, and it'll, you know, look at the positive. He didn't say any of those dumb things <laughs> that well-meaning, but we tend to say those kind of dumb things sometimes. They don't help. Um, you know, um, you know it, it, the foolishness, those things. That, but you might be thinking, well, I don't know what to say to people. It's kind of scary. We hear about something terrible going on in somebody's life and, 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 and maybe we don't even do anything because we're afraid if we go we'll say the wrong thing. I'm going to tell you this. Presence is never wrong. Your presence is never wrong. <laughs> and if you don't have the things to say just go to the person and sit there. You'd be surprised. I've told you before, when I first became a pastor, one of the scariest things in the world to me was to go do hospital visitation. I wasn't afraid of catching something. I was afraid that, that when I got there, they would expect me to heal them. I'm not Jesus. I got some faith, but it scared me. I thought I had to go do something. And then I learned that, no, just showing up, just making them not be alone all the time, your presence is enough. It's enough. And I believe... Even though the text doesn't literally say this. So this falls in the category of my belief. Okay, I'm not preaching this as doctor, but I believe that Jonathan must have prayed with him. You know. Hey, 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 let's just, just let's pray about this. Let's just, you know, come on. David, let me pray with you about this. There is nothing better you can do than take a hurting friend to the Lord. Nothing better. Can I pray for you? Those words should be ringing <laughs> in the hallways of this place. You know, can I pray for you? You hear something, you're in the hallway. Hey, can I pray with you? You know, and I mean, and, and I'm, I've learned and I'm learning. I've been trying to do this for a number of years and I'm better at it now than I used to be, but someone will share something with me and I think, hey, I'll pray for you about that. And that's where I used to be. Now it's more like, hey, let's pray about that right now and I'll pray about it again later. Amen. Okay? Because... The truth is, I might forget later. And it's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm a human being and it's better. Hey, let's pray right now. And I've been in some awkward places with some people, you know, in public. And I found myself praying with some people in some odd places. And kind of a little bit, you know, sheepish about it. Like, hey, this, can I pray for you right now? You know, <laughs> at some place in a grocery store in the middle of the aisle. And, um... I can tell it's odd because you don't see a lot of prayer circles in grocery stores. <laughs> you know? And it's understandable. I would say if I needed prayer, I'm not sure I would want to be prayed for in a, in a grocery store. But, you know, with sensitivity and appropriate discretion, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not afraid of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. you find that in Romans 1. So I would encourage you to be sensitive, be discreet, and find a place and just pray right now. 
right now when you're with somebody. You, you can pray later too, but I encourage you to do that. And I believe that that's what was going on here. I believe that Jonathan did that. One of the best things you can do is take a, a hurting friend to the Lord. You can't always solve the problem, um, but there's strength. you're there to strengthen their hand in God. That bond that goes on, that's what you're there for. No, so presence, prayer. And the third thing, I'm working on peace here, can you tell? The third one is protection which I see happening in two ways here. Verse 17, and he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. David was, you know, he's emotional, he's distraught, he's fleeing. And here's Jonathan, and he's calmly assuring him. He's saying with assurance, don't worry, it's going to be okay. My father is not going to find you. There's an assurance there. That's the first kind of protection, assurance. And I think, you know, we try to anticipate what the struggling and hurting person might be feeling, and, and we bring assurance. Not patronizing, not false, but assurance. I mean, how often, I think, as friends, we can fail to rise to a level of being biblical friends, and then we miss this power of biblical friendship, and because sometimes we actually say foolish things that kind of inflame the problem, Yeah. You know, I see why you're so upset. She makes me feel that way too, you know? You have every right to feel this way. I'm going to tell you something. When you have a friend who is in an emotional tornado and it's a whirlwind and it's a forest fire, the last thing they need is a friend to come along with a fan. <laughs> they don't need that. You think you're upset now. Wait till you get done talking to me, man. We'll get this thing really going, you know? That is just counseling to the flesh. That's what that is. It's counseling to the flesh. That's, you know, it's when you find yourself telling the person the things their flesh wants to hear rather than the things their spirit needs to hear. <coughs> anybody can push a slipping brother further downhill. You know, anybody can push them in the wrong direction. That's just not biblical friendship. Biblical friendship goes to them and strengthens their hand in the Lord and it gives them, insur- don't be afraid, it gives them assurance. And then notice, not just the assurance, but here's the second part of protection, loyalty. Loyalty. I love this about him. Verse 17, and he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. Wow. I mean, just the humility there. It's, it, it's not me, David. I, I would have been born to be king, but I know it's not me. He's saying, you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. I don't mind being number two as long as I can be there to help you and to support what God's doing in your life. What an awesome thing. Then he says, Saul, my father, also knows this. Loyalty. Great loyalty here. What's better than a loyal, a loyal friend? I think, thank God and, uh, for loyal friends that we have and, and um, people who support us and sustain us. And when we stumble... We have friends who protect us with just fierce loyalty. Let me ask you a question. Are you a loyal friend? You know, instead of listening to this message right now and saying, gee, I wish I had some loyal friends, why not turn that around and ask yourself, am I a loyal friend? You know, what's your response when your friend is criticized? Do you lovingly stiffen up and... um, spring to their defense and say, hey, 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 and and focus on their positives and not on their failures because, you know, most times criticisms are 
one-sided and unfair, and maybe even if they're true, and many times they are, there needs to be someone who will still see through to the positive and the potential and stand with a friend. Are you a friend? Are you a loyal friend? It's, it's just not enough to later say to them, so-and-so said this, to, said this about you, but I didn't believe them. That just, that's not it. The question is, did you challenge it in the moment? Somebody comes to you and says, well, you know, you know, Eric is kind of like this. Well, did you challenge that in the moment? Yes, I would. <laughs> it's in that moment, that's the test of friendship. And it's not as though we don't see um, how a sister or a brother needs to go. It's that we're committed to the process of helping that to happen. Criticism has only one goal, and that's to tear things down. Anyway, a biblical friend holds you up when you struggle. Okay, presence, prayer, protection. And the last one starts with a P, the promise. See the promise there in verse 18. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. I really think friendship should be verbalized. You know, there's, there's power in, in, in words of true commitment. I say that, you know, because I've done a lot of weddings in my time, and I've come to the conclusion that you can throw away every part of the ceremony, and I'll still marry a couple if they make a covenant commitment to each other verbally. If in their hearts they promise something to each other and before God and witnesses, that's what, that's, that's what creates the covenant. It's the, it's the words. I think people... They, they give up because they feel alone and they feel abandoned, but they stay together even when things get tough because of the power of partnership. You know, they, they've made a covenant. They've verbalized it. That's what these guys did. And this was not some inferior, you know, temporary commitment like, hey, um, David, I'm committed to who I think you are. I mean, I, 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 there's only one person that we should be committed to like that, and that's Jesus Christ, right? I mean, we, 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 they weren't saying, you know, I'm, I'm committed to who I think you are, and then when I learn that everything about you isn't the way I think, I'm going to use that as a reason to bail because you didn't meet up to my expectations. Okay, so that, that'd be an inferior commitment. Here's another one. I'm committed to who I want you to be. You know, when they say I do, that really means I'm committed to making you into who I want you to be, and who I need you to be. <laughs> and, you know, you might be thinking right now, out, not out loud, well, I, I never said that, and I didn't mean that, and I don't think that way. But do you treat your husband or your wife that way? I mean, you know, strength gets built into a marriage when a person says, I don't accept where you are, but I'm your guy. I'm going to stick by you. I'm committed to who you are. I don't have any blinders on here, but I'm committed to who God is, is, is working out in you. There's strength that gets built into a relationship like that. You know, it's just that God grant us a fresh commitment to the power of relationship in the home and in marriages and in friendships. And here's the worst one that's an inferior commitment. And I felt this. You probably have too, but um, I'm committed to what you can do for me. <laughs> For, to, to what you can do for me. But when you can't do for me what I need you to do for me, you know, um, or, or you can't do it better than you're doing it now, you know, we've been in that place where we find 
that uh, we were in a relationship and we were really actually being used. And I hope the, that, um, that that experience has not disillusioned you to the, the power of biblical friendships. I, I just really hope that you don't let that stop you. The, the key ingredient in this, of course, is love. Change isn't easy. Sometimes when change is going on, you want to quit, you want to slow down, you want to you know, get off track. But here's Proverbs 17. Um, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And you can find out when your real friend, who your real friendships are when things get a little harder. That's when, you, when the challenge comes. It's not when everything's convenient and things are glowing and happy um, that I want to be a friend. But look around and see who's still standing around you when things go upside down. That'll show you who your real friends are. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And I could, you know, wish I could grab hands with you and walk you down the hallways of my life and show you the times where I've had a crisis going on or um, times in my life where I was in a hole that I dug myself. And um, I've had friends who have been there for me and they've been faithful friends, stick closer than a brother. And, and God enables them to do that. But that's just the easy part. <laughs> you know, not just to be a friend who um, holds you up when you struggle. It's harder it's harder to be a friend, and this is the second part coming, who holds you down when you stray. Second Samuel, we're going to meet another one of David's friends who was also a faithful friend. He wasn't just an encourager, and he wasn't just presence, uh, his presence and his prayer and support and encouragement. A lot of people are better at that than they are at the second part of biblical friendship. A biblical friend holds you up when you struggle, and a biblical friend holds you down when you stray. They hold you down when you stray. So, okay, so here's this second friend I want to talk about. Um, and um, um, <laughs> you're early, but I love having a friend with me. <laughs> Don't everybody look at Eric. Just ignore him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to make you sit there the whole time. I mean, okay, we're getting close, but... Um, okay, so we're going to get into um, looking at a second one of, of friends, and this is another guy who was very faithful. And um, um, this, so David is now king of, of Israel, and he's being he's very successful. Jonathan is out of the picture, and uh, this is many years later, and David's building his family, and he's a very very popular king. If they'd had popularity polls, he would have been very very popular. In fact, his popularity was scripture says so high that in the spring, he didn't go out with the troops when the troops go out for battle. In fact, um, 1 Samuel 11 says, when the time came when th- for, for, things to go, for, for kings to go out to battle, David didn't go. He decided, hey, um, you know, you can handle it now. I'm a little older. I'm fine. I'll take it easy. You know, and um, so this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but David, you know, y- y- you might have been faithful in your 20s and your 30s and 40s, but your greatest challenge to fidelity to God may, you know, it might come in your 50s or 60s or even later. No, David, don't think you've got it beat just because you've got some life experience here, um, you know, and just think that life experience means that temptations have passed you by. So David's, you know, he's, he's, his comfort now lulls him into some danger, and he's sent the guys out to battle. He stayed home, and he's up on the roof, 
And he looks around where his eyes not to wander, and he sees this woman bathing whose name is Bathsheba. And the um, Bible says that he sent for her, and um, he took her, and he slept with her. And this was a disaster for the nation. It, it was a disaster for the nation. It wasn't a political disaster. It was, a di- on every level, a disaster spiritually. And this guy was not his wife. He was another man's wife, whose name was Uriah. And some time goes by, and she pays another call to the castle keep and um, says, hey, David, can we talk? It's blue. I'm pregnant. Is that what color the thing turns? (laughs) She says, I'm pregnant, and um, it's your baby. And, um, you know, when that came out, what should David have done at that point? I, I mean, I don't know. He was in deep trouble. He should have fallen on his face and repented and and, um, you know, where are his friends? Where are his friends? He's, he's isolated, and which is, by the way, what our spiritual enemy always wants to do is isolate you. If you are struggling or straying, the first thing the enemy is going to do is separate you from people who can help you. So he's alone. And here's what he does. He starts going down Saul's pathway. He starts plotting how he can hold on to his power. And he starts with a cover-up. And he comes up with this great plan. He calls Uriah home from the, the, the front. And um, his intention was basically to get Uriah into the bedroom with his wife so that he would later conclude that this child with which she's carrying was his. He's such an honorable man. And he says, I'm, I will not go to the comfort of my home while my men are on the battlefield. And he wouldn't dishonor his, the men on his battlefield. So he didn't go home to his wife. And David sees that's not working, so he sends him back to the battlefield with a note to the, to the chief general. He says, hey, put him on the front lines where it will be a fierce battle. I'm paraphrasing now. Where it will be a fierce battle, and then back away and leave him exposed. He was plotting to kill him, just like Saul was plotting about killing David. How far has he slid? Where are the men in his life? The people around him had to have seen this going on. Nobody said anything. <laughs> and, um, you know, you look at that and you think, okay, well, okay, so we pick this up in Second Samuel. It says that the Lord sent him, basically, he sends him a friend. Second Samuel 12, starting in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he sure needed a biblical friend. He came to him and he said to him, now Nathan is going to tell David a story. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man, now, this is anal- this, this, Nathan's story here is an analogy, and um, David in the story, you'll pick this up, is the rich man, but David doesn't get it, okay? <laughs> the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb named Bathsheba, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and, and with his children, it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup. Here, here, you have a drink. Precious little sheep. <laughs> Close to this sheep. It's precious. Where well, I went off the track there. And, and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there, was, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. 
but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it, which means he killed it and slaughtered it. He's cooking it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger, okay, <laughs> David hasn't figured it out yet. <laughs> you know, you mean the guy with all the sheep? He takes one, the, the guy who only has one, he takes that one sheep and he kills it? He's, his anger is now starting to spin up. You know, he's about this terrible injustice, this, this sin, but he doesn't get that it's him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, here we go, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you're the man. This wasn't the cool, you're the man, you're the man. <laughs> you are the man. <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, and I suppose Nathan, you know, he, consider, consider all of the reasons Nathan could have come up with at that point to not go tell this to David. You know, I'm not the guy. Somebody closer to David should be saying this to him. Apparently, they were all being silent. Nobody was saying anything to him. I, I, I'm going to lose my. This guy's the king. He's, I'll lose my position. You know, picture this. It's a regal setting. Here's the king. He's got his bodyguards and his attendants and weapons hanging on the wall and Goliath's head. I don't know where Goliath's head is. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to go and confront him with this truth. And that's what a true friend is willing to do. And Nathan tells him the truth. He stands up to him. He says, you're the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed now. Now he is now shifted over. It's no longer an analogy He's prophesying. He's speaking in behalf of God to, to, to King David. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, bringing up Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and, and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added, I would have added, I would add to you as much more. I would have doubled this. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? Now, there is a biblical friend. Not, why did you disrespect me? Why, why did you do this to hurt the family? That's not what he says. He says, but why have you done this great evil against God? How can you do this? Nathan puts it all on the line. He shoves all the chips into the middle of the table. And everybody needs someone who can look you in the eye and say, hey, man, you are neglecting your wife. Everybody, every one of us needs someone who can tell us the truth and say, hey, you know, after some cute but disparaging comment about the wife at the restaurant, you know, hey, that's not funny. I don't appreciate that. You shouldn't, I wouldn't say that about my wife. I wouldn't say that about you. You shouldn't say that about your wife. Okay, Pastor Terry, slow down, big boy. Calm down. Why the big deal? Because this is really serious stuff. This really is, you know. This is, this is, where are the men with the courage to do what really matters? Speak the truth in love. You know, be biblical friends to one another. We have enough friends who will <laughs> be friends with us for what they can get. We need friends who will be friends for what they can put in. Amen. Amen. Be biblical friends and men and women who won't only hold each other up um, when we stumble, but will hold each other down when we stray. <laughs> Here the story goes on about how Nathan um, was the one that was used, and David, you know, David is absolutely touched. He is stricken in his heart. 
He repents completely. And his life turned around in that very moment. You can read, if you want to read about what was going on in his heart, check out Psalm 51. You can do it later. That's when he wrote that. He wrote Psalm 51 after this was churning in his soul. Everybody needs a biblical friend who can tell them the truth. The key ingredient here for friends that struggle is love. And the key ingredient for for friends who stray is the truth. But all truth, or excuse me, all love and no truth is hypocrisy. And all truth but no love is brutality. The power, the power comes when we have that imbalance. For change that lasts, I encourage you to choose a friend who's committed to change. Stop picking friends based upon um, affinities. It's okay to have friends because you're into cars and they're into cars, but choose friends who have a passion for the same kind of things that you have a passion for in terms of quality and character. Look for someone of the same sex who, um, who can be all you need to be to help you become you know, what you're supposed to be in, in your home and in your marriage and in your friendship and in the marketplace. Or if you're a single person, to help you to figure out how to live life in the moral climate that we're in today. Review the, bit, the, the, the pattern for change here. So take out the garbage, get into full partnership with God, including salvation, about something specific, and then start with repentance. And we see the power of God in uh, the spirit of God, faith, and with biblical friendship. God wants us all to be part of a biblical friendship. Now, I want you to know I prayed for you, and my concern today was, in part, that, that I think that there is a little bit of loneliness alive in every human heart. I don't know why that is. It's an opinion. Maybe it's an observation. And for some of us, it's more than a small amount. And you'll hear me up here talking about biblical friendship, and you'll feel like, I don't have any friends, let alone biblical friendship. And a place of desperation could cause you to grasp for friends who can harm you rather than help you. I want to pray about that. I'm going to pray over you about that. The Word of God does say to us that if you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. You've got to invest yourself. You've got to say to somebody, hey, come on, can I buy you a hamburger sometime? Or can we, whatever. I mean, you've got to show yourself friendly and invest in that. And, and ladies, the women's Bible study will be spinning up again in a month or so. Get involved in it. I think the teaching of the Word of God there is really good. But the building of relationships is very, 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 very close to as good. It's not quite as good as the Word of God. But the purpose of those, although the Word of God is teached, I, I don't want to say that the purpose isn't the Word of God, because I would never say that. But the relationships are so important. Guys, you have to work at it harder, because we're just more tasks in general than we are relationship. You have to work at relationship. I encourage you to do that. Invest yourselves. Now, we're going to wrap up here, and um, I ask for two things. I want to bring up two things. Um, I asked, because of the, that, that issue of loneliness, I asked Pastor Eric to have a song for us. I want us to go through one complete song. I know normally it's a quick exit once the message is over. Today I want to do one complete song, and I want you to ask you to invest yourself in worship in this song and let the Spirit speak to you. Second thing I want to point out to you is that at the end of the service, there will be people up in front, people I trust who love to talk to God, and they would love to talk to God with you about whatever it is you would like to talk to God about. So if you want prayer, take advantage of the fact that these people are trustable and they will pray with you for your need, okay? 
So let me pray. Lord, first, I, I'm just so grateful that <laughs> you make a terrific, terrific best friend. Thank you for, for offering yourself like that. The very concept of the one who is constantly before the throne and praying over me would also be willing to be my friend. You give your life for me and you want to be my... I just is overwhelmed me. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray for people today and I talk to you and I mention the topic of loneliness and I ask, Lord, for you to help us find our... Your word says that you will order the steps of the righteous. Help us find our way to friendships and that they might be biblical friendships. Lord, help us to be grateful. Help us, Lord, to have courage. Sometimes we have to step out in areas that we're just not used to, but to have the courage to do that, Lord, and to be committed to the change. Lord, we lean into the power and the wind of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord, with life and lead us there. And I thank you for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.